welcome to episode six of Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and with me is Mr. Matt Leach. How are you going, Matt? Good, thank you. That's good. Um, just to kick off, just a little bit of podcast news. So um, we made it into the new and noteworthy section of the iTunes, which, which was pretty, pretty that cool. That was epic. No, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Just so weird. I was showing someone where to go to on iTunes to find us, and I was like, "Oh, there we are!" Like mm. right at the new and noteworthy. Yeah, which was pretty exciting. It was pretty sweet. My friend works at Apple, and he found it as well. And he thought it might have been a different different bunch of people. But <laughs> <laughs> he was he was really excited. Professional people. Yeah, yeah, someone more professional than us. But hey, you know, thanks for people. I guess for listening to the show and rating it. I guess if you did and getting us up there, that was pretty cool. Right, new Will Anderson, which was pretty awesome because yeah. i'm a huge fan he gets to smoke on the cover of his album though we've just got a logo but, um, <laughs> maybe we'll work our way up to that we've also added an itunes follow button to the website so you can click that button and follow us a little bit easier and we've also added a discuss um, comment section to every episode as of early this morning so um if you do kind of want to get in touch with the show um, if you have any comments about this episode if this is streaming in your ears right now and you disagree with everything our special guest has to say um please let us know leave a comment <laughs> leave a comment via the website um we'll get back to you let's let's kind of start a conversation so we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to, you to get involved um, so please do check it out um, and hey Matt why don't you introduce our special guest yes our special guest this week is Tim Busing so Tim's got 20 years of experience in is it 20 years or over 20 years I fear it's going to be over 20 years eh? really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously working in the digital design space worked with agencies such as BBDO Publicist Razorfish Meta Design but the last three years you've obviously been with Reactive That's as right. the creative director yep. Um, and that's probably where people probably know you from, but also you do lots of public speaking for AGDA and for Australian Front, yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I guess I guess what I'm really interested in is this idea of you do quite a bit of artistic work as well yeah. that a lot of people don't know. And, and what's really interesting is you're kind of mixing the digital with the traditional. Yeah, that's right. I guess <laughs> it, it stems from an early early age sort of when I, when I was um, starting my career in television which was different from online you know online sort of popped up at the time and, and this interest of mixing media and seeing what happens and especially when you mix it in, in the real world so when people look at an insulation or a screen or a projection or something else and it sort of comes off the normal screen and it enters their real world and, mm. and sort of see how they react and, and watch the the interaction with it that that's really interesting to me because there was that one that you did with um at the world uh, snake the planet where where you actually took the snake game and actually put it was that mapping you so you yeah that's that's actually uh, a, a piece of work that was originally conceived and, and worked on by by two friends of mine um i more or less helped them sort of tell the story of this piece mm -hmm. um the idea is that you can play this mobile game called snake that everyone remembers from the old nokia days i was very good at it by the way yeah i can't remember what it was but it was high it i can't believe high. we actually put it because that was it was obsessive and, yeah and then you think about the sort of mobile games we're playing now yeah, and how different they are, and yeah, how how Snake could have kept our attention for so long. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. In hindsight, yeah, you can't quite believe it. <laughs> and and their idea, uh, Lucas and Renee's uh, idea, was to to use any facade in the world and scan it uh, with a computer, with the help of a camera and a computer, and turn it into a game level, so that every window, every door, every pipe would become an object in that game level, and then be able to play on any building. And that's why the title Snake the Planet came about. Um, and and originally, when when 
I saw that um, idea and that application, I was also um, intrigued to help them tell the story better. And, and I worked together with guys um, before uh, with a production company called Finch. And uh, we, we continued our collaboration that began earlier, and we just sort of uh, got a director on board and told the story of this um, particular application. It's, pretty, it's absolutely amazing. And then obviously you got quite a bit of press about the, um, the most powerful arm. Yeah, the most powerful arm was um, a robotic arm steered by Facebook, uh, more or less to help a charity called Save Our Sons, which is a parent organization of parents with kids with muscular dystrophy. So the idea was that the muscular uh, dystrophy is... Um, addressed with this robotic arm so you more or less uh, jump onto Facebook you see the robotic arm in the real world and you log in with Facebook and it signs your name onto a petition to the Australian government uh, to dedicate more funds into research into this disease so what was that like because that obviously got it got loads of media attention yeah the whole project basically just took six to eight weeks or something ridiculous so it was wow. very fast paced there were a lot of people involved we worked together with Finch um, and Havas and another PI agency called Red Agency uh, and everyone was just going at 100 miles an hour and, and we were just getting together updating ourselves sort of on, on what we were doing we were in charge of a lot of the web experience and, and the Facebook components the other guys were building the robot and you know it was just a brilliant experience it came about very quickly and then it had huge success so lots of lots of people uh, actually signed the petition and then it went all the way to Canberra and the politicians listened and they took it into the debate which, which had never happened before mm. actually it had never happened before that um a Facebook petition would be accepted by the parliament normally. That's legally not in, in the book. You know, that's not how it's being done. <laughs> it's so, not written right. in the book. So it's, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. That's right. So we kind of changed a little bit of uh, legislature, I guess, in Australia. Wow. And so were you expecting it to, to hit that big or...? I don't know. When I saw an early prototype of the robotic arm, I thought, this is so cool. There's absolutely no way that people are not going to like it. <laughs> but I had no idea if it was going to go that far. So in the end, we, we um, achieved what we wanted in terms of the helping the charity, but also uh, we took it to a couple of award shows and it, and it scored, for example, a black pencil at the DNAD, which totally flattened us. You know, when, mm. when that happened, that was just amazing. That's amazing. And what happened, I, I think I heard a little story about what happened. Didn't Facebook try to shut down the project can you tell us a little it bit about it wasn't necessarily that anyone on Facebook meant to do it but Facebook has a little component that automatically detects spam mm. and it sometimes can't understand if this is spam or something worthwhile so they stopped our Facebook posts for uh, a couple of hours and we basically pulled all the strings that we could at Facebook even on a global level to get this released again so that the campaign could, could keep on mm. going so I mean that's that's just an indication of how ever shifting and ever changing our landscape is in terms of mm. technology I, I had a similar thing I, when I started International Matt Day and I contacted every <laughs> Matt on Facebook so to be a part of this day I got, I got shut down by Facebook when, when is International Matt's Day? 26th of April is that your birthday? Or no, it's um, it's the it's it's the. Uh, I spoke to a numerologist who worked out what Matt meant in, in numerals I didn't really understand it. <laughs> did, did you pay this person? <laughs> no. no. That's good. Because then I was very then, impressed. Yeah, because right. then it would have meant sucker. <laughs> What's the website, man? Oh, well, it, yeah, I've shut it down. It's a couple of years ago after Facebook. <laughs> just oh. didn't come to the party i was like well that's it it's a shame they're, they're a fickle bunch but yeah, <laughs> but yeah i mean it's, it's pretty incredible that you almost uh, tricked facebook's robots into thinking that you were spam because it was so successful so mm. quickly yeah um i remember signing it and it was a lot of fun but it was also you know it's just a fun interaction as well like actually seeing that visual thing physically happen 
somewhere else was yeah. really exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do remember standing in front of the robot together with Emad, who who built the robot, and we were looking at our phones, and there were like all our friends were signing it at the same time. So basically, our Facebook stream was full of the same posts. It right. was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. Because you you were kind of remote, you you're kind of far away from it, and then suddenly everybody's reacting to it. So mm. that was pretty special. But also for the people who are actually signing, just being able to see the interaction. So mm. almost see what what they were doing digitally yeah. actually yeah. happening in the real, which is similar to another thing you've done, which is chuck the chucks. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Chuck the chuck is probably at the far end of silliness. Um, <laughs> right. So Converse um, wanted to launch their Google Plus page uh, at the time. That was you know seemed a good idea to them. I don't know. If they still <laughs> believe in that. Um, and they asked a couple of agencies to come up with ideas to how to hack the chuck. So um, the chuck being the most popular shoe that they make. And I'm sure everyone here has a pair mm -hmm. at home, yeah. at least one. Um, and I don't know who came up with this idea initially, but just said, like, hey, why don't we chuck the chuck? And at first we didn't quite know what that meant, but it just <laughs> sounded funny. Um, and then we came up with this idea that it's Chuck Norris, who's the most dangerous man in the world, obviously. We all know that. Yeah. And um, we wanted to then shoot the shoes uh, and get Chuck Norris to paintball shoot the shoes. <laughs> That's it. There's no deeper meaning to this. Um, we rented a, a paintball uh, range, I think they're called. You know, these sort of uh, yeah. hangars full of just dripping with paint and um, went in there, had Chuck Norris obviously come and, and drop by. And it was really mask. Chuck Norris. <laughs> really? Well, you watch the video. You check it out. Because you never see his face, though. That's right. <laughs> so who knows? It might have been Chuck Norris. It maybe it was. Yeah, yeah maybe it was. Yeah. There's a one and in then, seven million uh, chance that it was. Yeah, there is a chance that it was. Yeah. And um, then you could go on to Google Plus Hangouts and direct the shoot. So basically, we gave control to the users. They could hop on to this Hangout, and they could shout at Chuck um, to do certain <laughs> things, like commando rolls and high high kicks and whatever, um, <laughs> And then shoot the shoes. Yeah. I've seen Chuck Norris's high kicks, and, and that's they look different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. That gave it away, maybe. Belt, belt height every time. Yeah. This, this is really interesting. Like we, we've kind of crossed a couple of different different projects, and there's a lot of collab collaboration mm. involved in a lot of yeah. in a lot of what you do. Yeah. Um, and you know, kind of crossing between um, kind of the real world and also the digital space, technology, and things like that. So, what is it about kind of the digital slash traditional kind of um, relationship that you really seem to be drawn to or you love maybe do you yeah. love it well it's it's kind of I don't know what's going to come out of it in the beginning you know it's like you put two things together and then you see what happens and possibly it's going to be terrible and people are going to hate it or nothing's <laughs> going to happen or it's not going to work and most of the time it does work in some way right if you apply right. enough energy and time to it it does work but whether or not it's going to be really successful you never know um I guess if you put out a poster, you know that people are going to look at it and they're going to have an opinion on it. But you know, is is it ever a, de a debate whether another poster worked in the, in that way? Mm. Um, with us, it's sometimes with the digital stuff. You sometimes feel like, well, it didn't quite work because it didn't have enough views or it didn't have enough interactions. Or, but it's still worth making. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen at the end of it. And is that because it's so? I mean, if you think about poster design, there's, there's almost a bit of a formula, you know, about where the type goes yeah. and how the eye reads the, the poster. Do you think because in the digital world, you know, Moore's law and everything else is things are moving so quickly that it's almost it's all new so you kind of don't know what you're going to get or yeah to a certain extent um it is new to a certain extent because you just mentioned how long i've been around <laughs> in this field 
to a certain extent, you sometimes feel like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before in a way, you know, mm -hmm. but I've seen it on a much lower level. For example, um, virtual reality has been around for ages. Mm -hmm. and, you know, people have been playing 3D games for ages. And now you've got the Oculus Rift and you've got these, all these sort of crazy ideas yep. happening with it. And it's, and it's gotten to a level where people just can't tell the difference anymore, where they get nauseous just putting it on because the immersion is so strong. Mm. And that wasn't possible before. So now you can take it to a next level. The stories you're telling might still be the same and, and, and the same graphic design elements in it in a broader sense, but just the fidelity and the impact that it has is so much higher. There's an engagement already that's, that's kind of apparent for the user. You, you know the user is in a certain space already before yeah i was just at, at pause festival in melbourne and um, a couple of the guys had the consumer version of the oculus rift which mm. is essentially a samsung galaxy phone that you put in front of your face with the help of some sort of plastic um holder so, device yeah, like you cut it out don't you? it's like a diy kind of version yeah there's a diy version which is cardboard but then there's one which is really plastic that has interface and button elements and oh, okay. it's really yeah. it's it's consumer level total immersion virtual reality so this is going to hit us all in some way or other next year at the latest you know wow. and suddenly you can play racing games with the help of a mobile phone and to an immersion level that's just not possible yet. first person angry birds finally yeah, yeah. finally yeah. that's all i can say <laughs> exactly hitting pigs just yeah you could, on. yeah of course you do that's that. a cool idea yeah let's do it man that's fun <laughs> <laughs> But now, now you make me seem like I'm all about sort of you know uh, technology. I'm, I'm obviously also about graphic design. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so let's let's, let's talk about component. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, how how deep how deep is that component <laughs> since you bring since you brought it how up? How deep is your love for graphic uh, design? <laughs> Well, I've always been drawn to drawing. So my, my uh, first medium of artistic expression has always been drawing. Secondary, maybe to speaking and writing and all that. I don't know. I, I sent you this little link. Uh, I used to make concert flyers. So I made yeah. flyers for bands back in the days when there wasn't even really computers around for this. Um, and so graphic design goes really deep in, in my sort of artistic expression, but it's not like I'm only using that. So mm. it, it becomes part and parcel of everything that I try to do. I mean, is, is that quite a few people have been talking about that, um, this idea that the creative director i guess mm. is no longer just what we think of as a graphic designer that's right the graphic designer is almost being able to kind of dip into wherever you need to dip into to kind of learn what you need to learn to to, to bring it all together almost link yeah kind of stuff together. yeah yeah that's right so my day consists of at least 10 different things that have nothing to do with uh, graphic design necessarily mm. you know I, I was just sort of preparing a workshop that i'm having tomorrow well, I need to explain to a client what the bigger picture of their website is going to mean. You know, what 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 sort of transformation happens to your brand, how your your uh, customers enjoy your brand, how they use it, how is that influence? How how are your relationships to your partners with which you produce that product um, is affected? How are your employees feeling about your company working there, and how do, how much do they understand about the brand because of this website or mobile app or intranet or whatever uh, content marketing that I might be doing for them? Mm. And that is pretty theoretical, you know. Mm. This is pretty far removed from graphic design, but at the same time, ultimately, I want to get to a point where I can deliver amazing design and, and you know, experiences that are really, truly wonderful and, and engaging, where customers love it and employees love it and partners love it and, yeah, just, just help brands be more interesting. Mm. Do you think that's something that education providers should be teaching or do you feel, because there's been quite a few discussions that have happened about... Uh, that a lot of colleges are trying to teach 
people to become creative directors when actually <laughs> there's a whole bunch of other stuff you need to do before you yeah. can become a creative director. I guess your employability, if there is such a word, depends on a couple of core skills. Um, it's very hard to integrate somebody on a junior level if they're just all about the breadth of their experience. You know, if they're all about, yeah, I know a little bit about copywriting, I know a little bit about graphic design, a bit about user experience and, and whatnot, or video, um, that, that is very hard to employ in the beginning. Then, obviously, it's up to you how you shape your career, how deep you go into something. If you become the amazing scriptwriter, copywriter, or if you become the amazing graphic designer or programmer or whatever it is, uh, and then you can branch out and sort of make good use of your understanding of other areas. And that's beautiful. You know, you see it every day in sort of partnerships between art directors and copywriters. At some point, the art director comes up with a headline and, and the copywriter has an amazing idea for a visual. Mm. Um, so that's kind of in mid to late stages of your career. That's perfectly possible. Yeah, it becomes less important. It becomes more about the idea than... And the collaboration, I guess. So you mentioned it earlier, Flynn, how uh, collaboration drives a lot of projects. And in today's world, you cannot get anything significant off the ground if you don't have respect for other disciplines, if you don't work together well with them, if, if you can't communicate your concepts to others mm. who help you achieve that. And over the course of your career, you build relationships with people that are quite helpful for whatever projects you do in the in the future and that might just be a telephone call it might just be sort of tapping into their knowledge about something mm. or giving doing them, you a favor or you know knowing somebody else who can help you and that is incredibly important as you progress yeah and that kind of comes down to um kind of industry connectedness i suppose but also personality as well so yeah just, absolutely so would you say that personality is a important um, attribute in someone that you might be hiring or working with? Well, I mean, you can, you can be an amazing creative and really obstinate and really pig-headed about things and, you know, but if, if you show a certain amount of respect, um, people, people will like you. So I'm not saying you have to be gregarious and friendly and sort of social all the time, but you, you got to enjoy working with others. You know, if you're completely... Uh, idiosyncratic in your working style and if you're completely autistic almost in sort of your focus you can be a specialist in certain things but you will always struggle to get bigger things off the ground yeah picking back on the education side of things obviously we have a question that carries over each week and we had jason last week mm -hmm. who we got into a bit of a conversation about education and and, and students and that sort of stuff um his question for you was, what are you doing to help the next generation of designers? Yeah. I, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Oh, what it's am all I? on you. And yeah. then before you answer this question, um, thanks, Jason. This is a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a really difficult one. So, I mean, it, it is kind of pointing the finger. Like I th And I think that was the point of what he was trying to get at, you know, kind of pointing it back at us us individually as an industry like just to see you know what is it and you mm. know, what is it that you're doing i know you do a lot but how would you, how would you answer that question uh, i mean you uh, you two and, and i we've been working together on tractor design school for a while now um it's it's an immensely fulfilling job to come in and see the next crop of people being interested in certain areas of graphic design and digital design and and sort of sharing some knowledge um to me it's always like they give me as much as i give them you know it's really all about sort of being interrogated and trying to explain your techniques and so for me it's it's fine you know getting up on stage and telling uh people about the big learnings from the last project is fine and and you know teaching them the intricacies of a certain technique in a, in a workshop or a, uh, whatever i can i can give them is, is fine so i've done that in numerous schools and various sort of constellations um i guess 
where I haven't done enough is probably really taking on internships, you know, and that's something that I have been thinking about that we should actually offer in a, in a more constructive way at the moment. We're, we're kind of um, going into schools like yours, mm. uh, but we're not really offering a really um, comprehensive internship. So that, that would be something that... Thank you, Jason, <laughs> for kicking me. Uh, it's actually, it, I mean, it comes off the... the we, we had an uh, email this week, which was, was lovely. One of, one of the emails that really grabbed my attention from Jess Tong, um, where she was asking about mentorships. Yeah. And so you've got internships, but then also mentorships are quite quite different, aren't they? They're, they are totally different, and, and they're so super helpful. You know, when uh, I read that question, I was thinking, how many mentors have I had in my career? And often I have missed an opportunity to get a mentorship because I didn't ask for it. The yeah. funny thing was I was sort of waiting for somebody to say, like, oh, you know what? <laughs> I'll just tell you, you know, on, on a Friday afternoon, we'll grab a beer and I'll tell you some stuff. You know? you're, 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 yeah, I'm picturing someone with their arm around your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Come that's on, right. little Timmy. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> it's time. And, I, and I never came up with the idea of actually going, for example, to a different agency and say, like, okay, you, I'm not working for you directly, but mm. you're doing interesting stuff and I really admire it. And can you tell me, like, what, what, what is the lowdown? How do you get mm. to, to what you're doing? Mm. So, so that's that's actually a great technique of just sort of dare to approach somebody, and you go to go to a conference, and afterwards you ask, like, hey, you know, what about being being a mentor for for my next year? You know, here's my portfolio, and and this is kind of the extent to what I'm looking for. You know, maybe we meet up every four weeks or every eight weeks, and you know, it doesn't have to be massive investment of time, but I'm, I'm just mm. going to tell you where I am and mm. in my career, what I've what I'm producing with, it, what I'm struggling with. For example, you know, clients don't get me, or my colleagues are just sort of on a different path or I don't, I don't know if this is the right agency for me all that stuff mm. and somebody can give you independent advice and really step back and say like hey I've got no vested interest I'm just telling you how it was for me and you might get different advice from somebody else but mm. that could really take you to a next uh, level of understanding the, of the industry it's a really important and it's interesting you said like stepping outside your company because I, I think I'd always had mentors but they're always within the company yeah and then as soon as I got a mentor which was an ex-boss who'd moved to a yeah. different company yeah suddenly there was a whole different kind of it, like, you don't have to be worried about what you're talking about and you don't have to worry about upsetting someone and then and you can just be completely honest and, and the amazing thing about right. yeah. mentors is is that the idea that you can you can get a really honest opinion about what what you're sort of putting forward yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and there's no politics ma mixed up with it absolutely I, I can totally agree um i did go back to somebody who used to be my direct uh, boss or, or cd in this case and i asked him about a move that i wanted to make and he sort of advised me and basically he didn't tell me what to do he was just saying like okay the money is attractive uh, the, the remit sounds good but this is what i know about the culture of the place and there's a bit of danger money i'll never forget that expression <laughs> danger money <laughs> well he was saying like you're getting paid a bit more but you know danger money means if you fuck up you're, you're gone it's like hazard pay <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great that's, that was his expression and I really understood what he meant you know? yeah. that's fantastic and do, do you have men, mentees that work with you now I guess I'm I'm trying to be a good mentor to to my team. I'm not currently involved with anyone sort of from outside. I guess you know occasionally we have these sort of students that are really bright in, in tractor school or elsewhere that afterwards approach you for a bit of advice, but I haven't really formalised that yet. Mm. I don't think it happens very often. I mean, my my understanding of our industry, I don't think it's a very common thing. I don't know very many students in in kind of my time or people that have graduated that have had credited their success to a mentor yeah. in Australia. In yeah. fact, I don't know any. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know any. 
Do you know any? Um, not from the top of my head, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. Or you know, Chris or Jason or you know, mm, yeah. Frankie, they might all be doing this. Um, I'm, I'm not aware of it. But let me just put it out here: if somebody wants to be mentored, you know, they they can shoot me an email. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's. Um, so, so how about I just read this email that we got from Jess? Yeah. Perfect. Because um, it actually goes into a bit deeper about uh, what what's actually in it. Yeah. For for both sides. Exactly. So so I'll I'll jump into the the email. Here we go. So. How would you ask someone to be your mentor, I think is an, an important thing. Um, and we really like this email, which is why we wanted to kind of talk about it on the show. And how to make it worthwhile for the mentor, which I think is a really nice kind of question. Um, what's in it for them? How do you make it worth someone's time? Or even if someone does not have a mentor, how does one get better at what they do? So what are some different ways that people can train themselves to be better inside the workplace when the work is not always challenging? Also outside the workplace on their own. Um, if there's a problem and they need to find out if there's a better way to solve, solve that problem... How do different people approach this? There's a lot of questions in there, so I might just backtrack a second. Ten questions. Yeah, there is about ten questions. Just to kind of make it a shorter version. So, um, if someone was approaching you, what would you be looking for? I guess I would be looking for somebody who um, has a broad idea where they want to go. So they're not looking for somebody to be a career advisor through and through. So they've picked a certain stage. or a certain direction and they kind of have an inkling of where they want to go and they can articulate that to a certain degree and then say but now what you know how do I, how do I get there yeah i know what i want i might not be able to picture day to day what i'm going to be doing in that role but this is what i really want to learn in the next 5 years mm. yeah how do how do i get there and then that's that's easier to work with and then it would be good if this person was was sort of showing that they had put in a lot of effort already into the portfolio and were clear enough about you know the commitment that it took to get there. Yeah, I think that I, I remember one of my first mentors, and I think we sat down and they said, "Okay, so what do you want from me?" And I was completely not ready for that question. Money. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to be you. Um, it, was, it was that kind of like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. I kind of expected to sit down and just be bathing in the kind of brilliance, advice, yeah. yeah. wisdom. Yeah, and it really, and they actually sent me. They went, well, you know, you better go back and think about that. I was like, oh, okay, with my tail between my legs. But it was, it was a really good um, thing for me because because actually when I mentored some people it was that kind of same thing it was like you know well what, what do you actually want to learn what do you want yeah exactly yeah, yeah that's a good question because I, I think yeah I like a good point sorry that's um, I feel like a lot of people might be out there for a silver bullet like maybe mm, yes. if I just go down and sit down with Tim once a month yeah. I have a really bad month yeah. I'll go talk to Tim we'll have a beer we'll be alright and yeah. he'll just pat me on the yeah. back and yeah. tell no, me I'm, I'm not an agony aunt <laughs> <laughs> and everything will be fine but yeah I mean I think that you still have to do the work if not more yeah. work much more work to kind of advance your career and do something more interesting yeah. you and know what the funny better. thing about more work is that you enjoy it more when you do more I mean, yeah. I'm not talking about mind-numbing sort of production. I'm mm. talking about challenging yourself, sweating, being afraid of delivering something that's awful, and mm. getting through it, pulling through, pulling an all-nighter if necessary, and and putting something up on the wall, and you know, sticking by it. That. So when when people feel afraid of, oh my, th- this is going to take time. Yes, of course it's going to take time. You know, it mm. always takes time to learn something. So mm. if you really put in effort, you get rewarded by very positive emotions and and achievement. And yeah, it's just the way it works that whole silver bullet thing as well is that because we we almost have a celebrity kind of society where we we look at Sagmeister Sagmeister and go you know you know how how do you do it you just woke up one day and you just did it and you just got to take you just got to take a year off every seven years yes you have to be Austrian otherwise it doesn't be Austrian yeah 
And, you know, and I, I think everyone forgets how much work he put in and mm. how many years he had where he didn't really yeah, know where yeah. he, whether anyone was understanding what That's he was right, doing. Yeah. For every book, there's like 10 other books that didn't even get published because yep. they were shit. Right, yeah. yeah. I think I think that's one of the big things that we have to keep on remembering. I, one, one of the things that, that comes up about mentors as well is, um, you know, what's what's in it for the mentor? And I think a lot of people who would like to be a mentee yeah. are, are very nervous about asking because they, they feel that it needs to be a 50-50 kind of give-take kind of thing. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be. Uh, so, A, you just feel good about sort of mentoring somebody because, I don't know, it's just a good feeling, you know, giving mm-hmm. back. Um, and to a certain extent, just like teaching, you, you sort of learn by having to explain to them what possibly could be a good next step. Yep. Right? If I think like, oh, you should make a move to this sort of agency or you should enter more competitions or, you know, why? You know, probably that mentor, men- mentee? Mentoree? Manatee. <laughs> I keep thinking manatee every time someone says it. That's called manatee. That's what we're talking about. Uh, we'll, we'll question whatever you're saying, you know, politely. Probably saying like, oh, really? Or oh, why is that? And you say, um, I don't know, maybe I'll, you know, come up with a good reason why, why that would be a good next step. There's a lot of knowledge that you have that is just intuitive and you need to question yourself why you believe that. Yeah. Can you talk to us about your next art project? <sighs> Currently, um, there isn't anything in the making, but my colleagues have done something amazing for Web Directions, which was a conference just passed, where they used... Um, the browser capability of Chrome to animate a complete film. And if you looked at the film, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like, you can't tell that this is not pre-rendered, but it kind of renders dynamically. I don't know. This sounds very technical, and it is, but it's Mm -hmm. amazing what they've created in terms of coding a film. And the aesthetics are brilliant, the soundtrack is brilliant, and I just want to dive deeper into this, whether or not that's artistic or finds its way into some sort of client work. I don't know yet. But I think this this is a fascinating area where um, dynamic content can be inserted, right? Normally, Mm -hmm. when you go to the movies, you sit down and there's uh, opening titles and they are what they are and they don't change. You know, there's a next audience and they're going to be the same titles. But this Mm -hmm. can potentially be influenced by who's looking at it, what time they're looking at it, what sort of what stuff goes on in their minds or their Facebook feed or what they've been typing into Google before they got there. So it could be all kinds of crazy stuff happening, but it would look like a film. Right? I'm not talking video film, I'm more talking like graphic animation, but it's it's pretty cool. It's called uh, People Behind the Pixels. So for those of you who want to check it out, um, go go to peoplebehindthepixels.com uh, and use a Chrome browser or Firefox if possible. Cool. I, I just use Internet Explorer. Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, it is. It yeah, is? Yeah, All right. So some of these things have limitations. But okay. yeah, good on you for supporting Internet Explorer. You know, hey, if we don't support this thing, yeah. it might die out. Bill Gates is very grateful. Yeah, well, yeah, good. Um, we actually, we actually can, had. Can I, can I say it's getting really warm in here? Yes. I promise not to take pictures of the studio here, but it, it is getting. It's a very professional warm. studio it gets warm in here. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> um, just to backtrack a little bit, we were talking about internships before. The the question that Jason had, which was, um, "What are you doing to help the next generation?" Um, which you answered really expertly. I thought that was fantastic. Um, but jumping back, we did actually throw that question out to our audience and our listeners as well. We, did get a, we got a cool response, I think, from Jenny that we wanted to read out. So, um, Matt, do you want to take this one? Yep. So, I mean, Jen, Jenny Duran's just basically said, which is really nice, um, she's talked about her in their internship program 
um, and just you know about how time poor everyone is and talks about it. we're all time poor but graduates and junior desires inspire upwards so being generous with our time is obviously mutually beneficial we share our experience knowledge and they turn there and share their enthusiasm and creativity um, and you remember the people in your career that took the time to help you out and I, I really liked that line because mm. it, it straight away it was like yeah we you do completely remember the people who That's took right. the time and yeah so what, what who who are the people for you uh one is uh, Olaf Teschner uh funny German name so difficult to say lots of and whatever in it um he was the founder of the agency that turned into Razorfish Germany um at the time it was called Neue Digitale and yeah he was he was just a very driven very kind but very extremely creative and very driven uh, guy who um had this mantra of never stop you know never stop loving what you do never stop creating and and um kind of made me feel good about being constantly working in a way you know i'm, I'm constantly in my head I'm, I'm thinking about stuff uh that has to do with work in a in a wider sense but uh it's pretty creative so i, I feel blessed being able to think about stuff that's so creative i always remember being told by one of my mentors is like you'll, you'll end up going out with or being married to someone who understands a creative because yeah. you spend so long kind of thinking about things that yeah. you need someone but to But isn't it funny, it. like on a Sunday afternoon when you're doing something completely different, suddenly you have an amazing idea yeah, and, yeah. and you get really excited about it and you can't wait to get back to the computer or whatever you, you're using to sort of execute it. Mm. That's, that's pretty cool. Like when your mind slows down and you suddenly crack a problem that you had tried to solve in the office or the studio for a while. Yeah, driving or in the shower or... Yeah, I find that with copywriting a lot. You know, it's yeah. like suddenly something pops into my mind and somebody mm. says something funny and suddenly that turns into a headline in my head and I've got a title for a for a website or for a talk or whatever. Mm. So it's almost like we need to introduce those moments in, in time more and more into our kind of working. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. you, you got to go home at some point, you know, this sort of staying back for the sake of mm. occupying a seat and looking busy, that's rubbish. You yeah. know, just go home, do something else, and then suddenly you come to a new conclusion that, that actually helps you so much more than if you had stayed. So where, where do you stand on the idea that a lot of corporate companies are doing this now? They're, they're introducing a, a foosball table or a slide? That, or, surely that's not a new thing. No, no, no. But, I mean, it's, it seems to be still gaining gaining traction, which yeah. I think is um, a little bit worrying because it, I guess what, to me, what, what the message is there is like, hey, you can get fun but yeah. at work so you don't have to go home. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, look, I mean, some some of these places like Google, probably you're, you're referring to, they have an extremely performance-driven culture. You know, this is they all want to be better than the next guy and sort of you know push it a bit further. So I don't think they even need the foosball table or the slide or the mm. whatnot or the gimmicks or the free lunch. They don't need that. You know, people are just insanely driven over there. Mm. Um, in some other places, when it's inserted as the big measure of creating culture, that's obviously not going to work. Yeah. And you're going to have tumbleweeds. You know, culture tick. <laughs> yeah, we have a football table. There we go. Actually, we have a football table as well. Uh, I like funnily enough, sponsored by Google. Okay. <laughs> it all comes um, around, but but it does get used. I, I think you've got to have the culture first, and you, you can have that in a shed, right? Mm. There, you have a great culture, and you have collaboration, and you have support, and you have fun, and you have crazy stuff going on, and then you can think about how to extend that and maybe be. Uh, I don't know, sponsor a trip to, to Mona or, you know, do some something mm. on top. But if, if that's your beginning, let's sponsor a trip somewhere where people are going to be inspired and then bring them back into our corporate office and everything is going to be so creative, that's not going to work. Mm. So how, how do you build culture at Reactive or 
Oh. Well, actually, I drag a lot of them in, into these sort of teaching gigs, you know. Drag them kicking and screaming over the finish line. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're much better at organizing their own social stuff, which, you know, happens as well. But um, I like to ask them, you know, uh, it's all voluntary, but I like to ask them, like, hey, come along, you know, give a talk or at least support a talk or maybe listen to somebody else speak that joins us, you know, um, sort of as a, as a team and and because it's just a lot of fun you know it's challenging i know you know some people are scared shitless being in front of even 10 people but yeah mm-hmm. it, it takes you so much further in your career um and and you can have fun as well and mm-hmm. just get drunk afterwards yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or during that always helps i think that whole idea about teaching is amazing though so i'd love to be able to i'd love students before they finish being students to have that experience of, of yeah. teaching as well because I think when you're a student or even when you're a designer, you, you often need to find one way to yeah. find the solution. Yeah, but when yeah. you're a teacher, you need to be aware of, you know, all, not all the ways, but like open to the possibility that there's more yeah. ways than, yeah. than one. And I think it really makes you think in a different way, which mm, yeah. then when you take it back into your design, you're actually a better designer. Yeah. And when, when you're really lucky, you get to travel the world with it. You know, um, just recently I was invited to Holland to, to speak uh, at this Dutch digital agency kind of convention. And uh, I challenged myself to put something out there that, that was so different from any other talk I'd given, which was um, I was wearing different football jerseys because it was Football World Cup at the time. So I started the whole jersey in my uh, the whole talk in my Australian jersey, and then I switched to the Dutch jersey, and then I switched to the German jersey, which was just you know mindless. Um, <laughs> it was just entertaining myself, and I learned a bit of Dutch. You know, I sort of mm. practiced a bit of Dutch before I went there. I was going to I was going to say, do you, is it Dutch that you speak, or is it Finnish? <laughs> well, fluently? Yes. Fluently, I speak German, obviously. Um, <laughs> and a little bit of English. Uh, and a little bit of English, yeah, with an Irish accent. Um, <laughs> no, I, I do speak a bit of Finnish, very little, because I lived in Finland for two years, right. where I went to, to art school. Um, and the funny thing is, I, c- I can read Finnish fluently, because it's uh, weirdly, phonetically, it's very similar to German. Oh. If, if a German picks up a Finnish book, he, can, he or she can read it fluently, and every Finnish person would understand what you're saying, but you, as the reader, do not you don't know what what it is. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's really weird. That's weird. I don't, I don't think you can do that. With, I can't do that with other languages. I can't read Russian or, or any other language like yeah. that. So, just so I understand, so you can read it. You can read the words, but, yeah. you, but it doesn't make any sense. Or uh, no, the the phonetic logic of the language is so similar to German that I can just read it as if it was German. Mm. It's just something I don't understand. But a Finnish person understands what I'm saying, so there's no differences in the way we pronounce it. If you, as an English speaker, would read it, you would probably stumble across certain connections and consonants and mm. combinations. Mm. A bit of linguistic fun here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, was, well, I mean, it's interesting, like, thinking about other cultures. We, we spoke with Kevin Finn about that uh, quite a bit, actually, you know, about yeah. kind of, you know, appropriating design and language and culture into, like, our projects and things like that and how things must change. Yeah. Like, it's it's super fascinating. Have you ever had to design for, like, you know, another another culture you didn't understand, like Finnish? I mean, you just spoke about, yeah. you know, going and giving us... I'm assuming you gave the speech in English? Uh, in Holland, yes. In Holland, I, a bit of Dutch and, and the rest in English. You, th- yeah. you threw it in there for some some cheap applause, didn't <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Just to, <laughs> to, to charm myself. In. And have you ever had to design? Like, like I mean, I'm sure within the digital space, you have to think about other yeah. cultures a lot, and yeah. you know, other other languages. Is that? Yeah, there was a really fun project we did for Nike back in the early 2000s. Um, they had a shoe come out for Ronaldinho, the soccer player. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He's not playing anymore, but. Um, 
and and we wanted to make a remixer using samba music and uh, Portuguese and you know, the whole football commentator lifestyle. That's all what it sounds like without really knowing what it means. Mm. Um, and and so we recorded different football commentators in that language. We worked together with um, South American musicians. Um, we obviously used lots of footage from Ronaldinho himself, um, and, and we put this together, but without really understanding South American mm. culture, so we were just sort of mucking about with this stuff, sort of, in a very weird, cliche kind of way, but it was a lot of fun, and, you know, the Nike guys liked it, and, and yeah, I'm, I hope that the South Americans liked it too. <laughs> <laughs> it is always that weird thing when, when you're overseas and you see... Um an ad about Australia and you 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 just know yeah. that it wasn't put together by Australians. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's oh, like yeah. the ideal of the Australian as opposed yeah. to yeah. what's really happening. A bit like our Australian ads because they're always about the kind of like the ideal and we're like, well, how'd that happen to them? <laughs> they're always for the another yeah. audience. Um, moving on to some other news. I don't know if you saw this, um, Tim or Matt, but um, I thought this was really cool and kind of deserved a little bit of attention on the show today. Recently, um, Jack Mussett, um, from Mother Burden and Carlos Chavez from Studio Fellow came up with this really punny kind of art directed um, dinner thingy for desktop. I'm sure that's not the technical term. Oh, I did. I did see this. Yeah. Did you see this, Tim? Have you seen this? No, one? I haven't. Okay, cool. So, um, bit of fun. So basically, they art directed a shoot with kind of their ideal um, designers in mind that they may, may have a meal with, like share a meal. Like if you could yeah. share a meal with three people, what would it be? They, they obviously got carried away and got more than three. I'll read out the dessert menu because I just love this and I wanted to share this with everyone. There's always room for dessert, especially classics at, such as Ken Keiko, coated with Vince Frosting. <laughs> nice. For the sweet tooth, Ken Donuts <laughs> can be served with timeless Milton glazing. Um, obviously, you're referring to Ken Kato, Vince Frost, Ken Don and Milton Glazer. Um, and I think there was some sort of comment about Sagmeister selfies in there as well, which was really cool. And so, so, so why did they do this? It was just, I mean, it's brilliant. But I why? didn't see the article. I mean, I just, I just saw it on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Where I get, where I get 99% of my news. Really? Is that where that's your, that's work? it. I mean, that's, I mean, I'd say a hundred percent, but sometimes I have to go outside. It's funny. Recently, lots of people have been saying, oh, did you see this on seven thirty report? Or did you see this on four corners? And I just, <laughs> I just I didn't know those programs were still going. It just I feel like I need to get reintegrated into into what's happening out there because I'm I'm doing the same. I'm kind of I'm picking up my information from the things I use as opposed yeah. to yeah. sitting down for news time or spending time with the paper or so Twitter and podcasts for you. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I must say, I just discovered this improv comedy podcast called Improv for Humans, and it's fucking hilarious. Really, it's really, really good. It's, it's a it, full hour of really masters of improv comedy, just riffing, freestyling, having certain techniques. It's awesome. It's really good. Has nothing to do with news. Doesn't tell you anything about the world. Really, but <laughs> yeah. Give it a go. It's awesome. But see, you're individually getting something out of that. Yeah. So it's it's good. Yeah. It's it just entertains me. Yeah. And you know what? Improv comedy is sometimes so close to presenting to working with clients is unbelievable really yeah. tell us more about that well you can um I, I took one workshop so i'm not claiming to be in any way related to this proficiency at all but i took one workshop and what i learned was the most important thing is you say yes and right right you don't interrupt you don't say oh but you know there's a yeah. shit idea oh, or something no. else <laughs> exactly you, you you don't say no uh and everything that somebody puts in front of you is reality and you build from that Right, mm. and if you do the same with clients, it's fantastic because they might object to something, and you say, "Yes, that's awesome," and I want to tell you something else. Really? And sometimes you just sort of 
all the objections fade into the background because they feel accepted and you've sort of worked with them. Mm. I've read about, I've read it because it it, yeah. it's, it stops the kind of uh, confrontation. That's right. Yeah. yeah because yeah. because sh- straight away you're like, yes, that's a really good idea. Yeah. And it's really not a good <laughs> Let's idea. Let's build on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Let's, Let's build, build on that. That's a nice Let's story. pretend I'm building on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just like, oh, today's boardroom is, is just confrontation, right? Everyone sits on one side and then the agency comes in and they yeah. sit on the other side. That's rubbish. That's, mm. that's uh, just you, leading to you, the wrong you situation. Need a, you need a slide or a foosball table. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Actually, we have tried that before and it, and it does work as well. Really? You invite the client for a game of foosball before you go into the meeting. Yeah. Does kind does of relaxes everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And let, you, let them win. That, so yeah, yeah, your clients are all amazing at foosball. I'm sure. <laughs> that's yeah. right. And do do you think clients are, are nervous about? Like, do you think that's why they're they're ready for confrontation because they're they're nervous about the digital realm and what what they're getting themselves in? Because you know, we talked about this kind of idea of. Yeah. Almost not understanding a language. Yeah. For them, it, this is a whole new language that they don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's because of that. But look at yourself. You know, you 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 might want to build an extension to your house. You ask an architect. He suddenly tells you all kinds of stuff you've never yeah. heard of. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. what? Really? Uh, is that? Oh, that seems expensive. And mm. so you're judging it on criteria that have nothing to do with architecture. Mm. Let's assume we all three know something about architecture, so it would be easier for us. But you know, if if somebody wants to fix my car, I'm basically, hey, hands off, whatever. You know, do, yeah. what do you have to do? Um, and if I had to engage with you about this, I couldn't make a good decision. And some clients are like that. You know, they're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> so you break it down to, well, actually, what you're trying to do is make your product more attractive or make your brand seem more interesting. And, and mm. oh, you get the sponsorship going on here. So let's make the most of it and try to keep the jargon low and, you know, mm. just build mm. a bridge for them to understand what you're talking about. And we can be incredibly insular in our language. This may be an arbitrary number, but if you can yeah. just kind of give us a bit of an idea, like in terms of the clients that that you have worked with throughout your career so not just yeah. reactive but kind of you know what what you're seeing kind of the trend kind of the matter of what's happening right now do you think are most clients like that or is that the minority like do most clients know what they want and you kind of need to work with them a lot like is it an uphill battle to kind of push them in the direction of what they need or do you find that most clients come to you and kind of um yeah throw themselves on the mercy of your boardroom and yeah. say, Tim, <laughs> save my job. Save us. <laughs> uh, help us, uh, save us, yeah. Um, I think you have to differentiate between between advertising creative and, and design creative. When you're in advertising land, you're basically still facing the same uphill battles of taking a brand to somewhere interesting where it needs to be. And I think advertising people help brands have access to culture, more or yeah. less translating what's really happening on the street, what people love. And translate it into corporate speak so that they can, you know, sponsor the right ad or yeah. whatever they need to do. Um, when you're talking about design, what I've seen interestingly enough in the in the last probably two to three years is really an intense collaboration process happening more and more. So that there's people from marketing, people from IT, people from even sales or other divisions of the organization coming together and sort of really trying to co-design with you. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily take over the UX or the UI, but really informing it and owning it together with you. And so it's much less confrontational in that sense. You know, if I came to you with, hey, you need to do this product now on the phone and it's called XYZ and you need to buy it off me as an agency right now, Mm. that's not going to fly. Right. You need to sort of really work with them in the beginning to understand where their pain points are, where the customers are complaining what, what uh, it might be right from, from a marketing point of view and, and trend point of view, at, but then work together with them to, to create the solution. 
Yeah, that idea of working together with the client, like I, I say, kind of hearing that a lot, a lot yeah. more, you know, rather than the big reveal. Yeah, give us your money. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. ten weeks later, ta-da! Mm-hmm. It seems to be quite old, quite old hat. And, yeah. and so, is that, is that is that accurate? That that is accurate. Yeah, clients tend to um, be off put just by the idea of you disappearing for ten weeks. Yeah, and. and I don't feel comfortable sort of developing something for 10 weeks without any involvement of the client. That's pretty uninformed design. You yeah. know, that's really not knowing what exactly is the best solution. Mm. Um, and yeah, a political component of that is that once they're involved, they're also partly owning the solution. Mm-hmm. So they can't distance themselves and say, like, oh, well, I told you all along. Yeah. It shouldn't be that yeah. way. You know? so they, they, and, and it's partly also, you know, let them sort of take the solution and take it to the rest of their company and explain it to them. So if, if it comes from me, it'll all, always be tainted by my commercial agenda of being an agency or a creative. And if it comes from them, it's, you know, it's someone who lives and breathes the product, yep. who works there. So it has much more weight and meat mm. to it. Have you ever been in a situation where the, the clients come up with a really good idea? and then All the time. And then every when, second and when, it, when it comes to the bill, <laughs> and they're, they're like, I came up with that idea. Why, why do I have to pay for it? Well, no, it's never come to the point where they say, like, look, we're, we're done here because I just had an idea. And <laughs> Everyone can go home early. Yeah. Let's have another round of foosball. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> what... What might happen is, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I find it's like collaboration to the point that people don't really remember who the originally, yep. the, the genius idea belonged to, right? Yeah. And it's not really about that. It's, it evolves. It's a big, chunky idea, and then it changes completely until it's finally resolved to be the, the best solution for, yeah. for the problem. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I always welcome... Uh, those ideas that that come fly around and I write them all down. Some of them are terrible, and and but they they just got to come out of their heads and yep. out of their mm-hmm. mouths, and and then it's gone and it's fine. Um, what, what what do you think? Um, I mean, just going back, what, it seems like such an obvious way to work with a client. Uh, what what do you think? You know, I mean, we're talking about the eighties, sixties, seventies, kind of where they really stepped away and kind yeah. of did the big reveal. Why why do you think that was that came about in the first place? I think there's a certain value in advertising again where where it, it, it is good to step away and not have any sort of influence from the client and really try to take it somewhere else. When it comes mm. to product design, I guess some of the functionality in there has been taken in-house. You know, look at Brown and, you know, Dieter Arms and, and all these heroes. They were working in the com- inside the company, so mm. it wasn't even an agency. Um, I guess nowadays you everything has become so fast-moving and so complex and so ambiguous and you need to be so reactive in, in that way if I <laughs> use that nice word well yeah, done. Exactly. <laughs> um, you just got to be more nimble right so your solution from half a year ago might be out of date right now because nobody does Google Plus pages anymore so maybe Converse needs to rethink their engagement model you know maybe they should right. just disown that page and or try to siphon these guys off to a new place and whatever the new happening maybe Snapchat is the big thing you know everybody needs to be and flash their shoes or, yeah. or more than that um, so yeah you just got to be more nimble and, and just stay involved as a client you can't just sort of lean back great well um on that note, as you know, um, kind of to t- sort of take us out, we do ask our guest to ask the next guest a question. Mm. So I don't know if you have one prepared or not, but um, do, do you have a question for both our audience, like a kind of burning question, maybe something about the industry, uh, kind of anything that, that might be on your mind that we can, we can ask our listeners, um, we can talk about it on the next show, and we can ask the next person that we have on as a special guest on ADR? All right, cool. 
So my question for the next uh, interviewee would be, what's the next big problem you really want to solve? Uh, be that, you know, commercial or artistic, what's, what's the big thing that's sort of burning on your mind that you want to crack with the next uh, available opportunity? That's an awesome question. It's a great question. Well, thanks, guys. So um, how about we go around the room um, just to find out where people can get in touch with everybody. Tim, should we start with you? Where can people find you online? They they, they can type in my name, and there's only two other people who are fairly prominent online. (laughs) Wow, this this is a first, because we we found more and more that everyone has a a doppelganger. So I have two doppelgangers. One is a pretty good hockey player, and one is a pretty good chess player for some reason. Um, So discount these two, because I can't play hockey, I can't play chess. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, just type in my name. Otherwise, my blog is under between zero and one dot org. Yeah. Yep. And it's Busing, B-U-E-S-I-N-G? Totally correct. I've typed that Thank way, you very too much. Many, no, way too many times. <laughs> if you're capable of the umlaut, then you use an U. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Google forgives me for not speaking German, thankfully, very much. <laughs> and, um, and Matt, where can people find you? Well, you can find me at Leechworth, uh, at LinkedIn, obviously, Instagram. Um, uh, Instagram is Matt underscore Leach, L-E-A-C-H. Great. And you can find me at flyntracy.com, Flynn with one N, no E in Tracy, and on Twitter at Flynn Tracy. We'd like to thank you for listening to Australian Design Radio. You can find this episode and more at australiandesignradio.simplecast.fm and you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at AUS Design Radio. If you have any suggestions for the show, um, completely agree with Tim. Like I mentioned before, you can send us an email. <laughs> um, and you can also comment now in the discuss section of this episode. So you can go there right now and pop in your burning question. We'll, uh, we'll try to get to you as quickly as we can. Um, and if you have any suggestions for guests or questions you'd like to ask, or you just want to reach out, we'd love to hear from you. So you can email us at matt at ausdesignradio.com or me, Flynn, at ausdesignradio.com. Until then, thanks for listening to Australian Design Radio. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.